Hi everyone! Welcome to Adopting Wellness. I'm Katie. And I'm Laura. And today we are joined by a special guest. Um, Kate, welcome. Applause, applause, applause. Thank you. Kate, would you... Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? Yes, I'd love to. I'm Kate, Kate Kelly. I am a Korean American adoptee. I was born in 1982, adopted into a white family with two biological white brothers of my parents and in uh, Colorado. And grew up with, let's see, it was a, a good childhood and I definitely always felt very self-conscious and insecure with the stares and the otherness in a white community and a white family. And I, because due to my friends and my athletic ability, that's pretty much how I pushed through my challenges as I look back. Um, And let's see, was a pretty big people pleaser and perfectionist to compensate for my feelings of otherness. And I carried that into my young adulthood, which took me to getting married at a young age to somebody I didn't really want to get married to, but everybody wanted me to get married to him. So I did. And then when I realized that wasn't how I wanted to live my life, I got out of that marriage and had a family rupture for four years. So that was really hard. Um, I went to, let's see, Korea in 2008. That was right before the family rupture, um, just as a tourist to experience the culture. And it was really incredible. I loved it so much. I was still very much uh, not, I did not come to conscious yet, con- consciousness yet, even with that trip. Um, but it was really awesome to connect with my roots. And it was really amazing to see how my body responded to the food for the first time in my life. I I felt like it was literally soul food. It felt like my soul was singing when, when those 10 days that I was just eating Korean food. So that was a huge <clears throat> sign to me that, um, that that's where I was meant to be, quote unquote. Um, and then family rupture happened in 2009, the year later. Um, and let's see, I went to con in 2019, still not coming to consciousness, but really amazing experience for me. I know it's not for everyone, but I loved it. We still have a core group of five of us who was all of our first time going to con and we have a thread going still. We connected the other day on it. Um, and that was super a really big part of my adoption journey. And then um, I'm married with two kids and we moved to China in August, 2021. And that's when I came to consciousness in that, that fall. And so um, it's been a little more than two years now, which has greatly helped my emotional wellness, the consciousness piece. So present day, um, like I said, married, two kids, we're my husband and I have been together for 15 years now, and I think married this year will be 13 years. Yes, 13. And then um, I have a 10-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, and they are um, biracial. My husband is white. 
Um, I'm curious about the the verbiage that you use as family rupture. Mm. I've actually never heard that before. Can oh. you kind of expound on that? Like, what does that mean to yeah. you? And and what does that what did that look like? If you, you know, <clears throat> yeah. I would love to talk about it actually, because I feel like it should be talked about more. I know Adoption Mosaic did a panel discussion on family estrangement recently, which I sat in on. It was the first one I'd done with them. Um, And it was so helpful for me, really, really helpful with some language and then just knowing that I'm not alone. Um, I guess it's becoming more and more common for family estrangement within families with adoptees. So the rupture happened Let's see, when I decided that this marriage wasn't for me and I wasn't living my truth, my parents got really upset about that because they didn't agree with my choice. And so um, they stopped talking to me for four years. I wasn't welcome in the family anymore. And one of my brothers stopped talking to me and then one of my brothers continued continued a relationship with me. Um, when I got divorced, <clears throat> I moved to Florida with my now husband and my husband, Ryan, and I were together before at my first marriage and, you know, it didn't work out, but he was still like always on my heart. And so, um, you know, I moved on with my life when we broke up and moved on with this other person. And then over the years just realized it wasn't for me. And, um, reconnected with my husband and I, I at the time I was still married ha, you know quote unquote ha, in a happy marriage but I wasn't happy I was just like complacent um but you know I was making everyone else happy in this marriage and so that's why I was in it unfortunately um and I was 24 when I got married um and so my, I realized that I still had feelings for my ex, my, my husband at the time, my husband now, I still had feelings for him. I, um, you know, was honest with my husband at the time and my family and said, this is what's happening. I need to figure this out. I was completely honest and they didn't like that. And um, I feel good about the fact that I was honest. And I, I had, it was a sliding door moment I call where you, have a choice. Do I go this way? Or do I go this way? You know, that movie sliding doors. Um, and I thought, okay, I could stay in this marriage and make everyone happy and be resentful and angry and sad for the rest of my life. Or I can piss everyone off and follow my truth for the first time in my entire life. So it felt, you know, that felt weird and do what's right for me, literally follow my heart. And so, um, so I did the latter and yeah, my parents were really upset. I wrote them an email cause I was like, I knew you were going to be upset about this. And they, and then I basically called them out. Um, like, I don't feel like you've ever been happy with my choices, blah, blah, blah. They didn't like that at all. So, um, so they said, okay, we're done. (laughs) And um, unfortunately, that's kind of the pattern they have with the relationships in their life. Like if there's somebody who they have conflict with, instead of working through it, it's kind of just like, okay, we're just going to move on. So um, 
whereas I prefer to fight through it. It's like, you know, fight or flight and they go this way and I'd prefer to fight. So, um, yeah, so we didn't, they kicked me out of the family. I like to say, unfortunately, we're, we're better now. <laughs> um, but for four years that happened and I missed out on my brother's wedding during that time. You know, I got married to Ryan during that time. Um, and it was, it was really hard. I, my husband, Ryan now is like, you were, you know, he told me over the years, you were depressed for that first year that we were back together. And I didn't realize it, but I, I was, and I think it probably triggered a lot of like abandonment stuff, but I didn't know it mm -hmm. at the time and, mm -hmm. you know, rejection. Um, so yeah, that, that was hard. Uh, it was really hard, so, but I, yeah, I got through it. Oh, sorry. So, so family rupture is, is really exactly how it sounds. It's a kind of an explosion uh, mm -hmm. or implosion that happens mm -hmm. within your family is what I'm hearing. So mm -hmm. how did you, what were some things that helped you move from such a pivotal point in your life? of realizing, you know, where you were making decisions for yourself that were healthy and like moving forward, what helped you go from kind of that really difficult time, as you call it, like a family rupture to where you are now, I guess, what kinds of decisions did you make or like, what did that look like for you? to move into like the healthy decisions um, of where you are now? <clears throat> I think that was a real test for me. Um, following my heart, voicing my truth, using my voice for the first time. Um, and it wasn't... It was the hardest decision I made, but it was the best decision I made at the time. And it it was a test in that I did it. And afterward, you know, I thought I would feel a certain way, like, okay, life's going to be so much better now because I did this. But I had so much, I think, grieving <laughs> from the way what happened with my parents. Um, so it was really hard. I I was I shifted, even though I was following my heart and. Now I was like out of the family. Um, I still shifted. I was still in like people pleasing mode and perfectionistic mode. And so then throughout the years um, was in that mode. When we talk about emotional wellness, I still wasn't, I don't feel like emotionally well. I was, yes, I was with the love of my life and that felt great. Um, and he's a huge pillar of strength for me um, because we, we're like true best friends and we call each other out and challenge each other. So that's, he helped me a lot through all of, a lot of that um, and has over the years. And then I feel like, I feel like having some distance away from my parents was probably a really good thing <laughs> because I could just, it, yes, it was super hard probably the first two years. And then it was just, I was on my own and it's kind of like some people say, 
you never truly grow up until like your parents pass away. And so that's kind of how it felt. Like I didn't have them in my life. And so I was just on my own to figure stuff out. Um, That's yeah, that's kind of how it felt. So, um, and then to where I am now, I feel like coming to consciousness was a huge piece of my emotional wellness to bring me to where I am now. Um, Yeah. You connected that earlier about, you know, the, the breakup of your marriage and the being truthful with your family. And then also the coming to consciousness, which I think, I, I think, are you, is that your version of like coming out of the fog, so to speak as an adoptee, like really grappling with what being adopted has, has meant to you? Yes, exactly. Okay. So I'm, it's so interesting. I think that those things are connected and it, and you made such a profound leap, right? Like you went from like such a um, okay, I'm just going to toe the family line to like, all of a sudden you're like, okay, we're doing this. Like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and it sounds like that really left space for you to really try to start explore things for yourself. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It was a, it was a freedom that I'd never, um, granted myself before mm-hmm. I never gave myself permission to mm-hmm. just live my life authentically for me and it was something I ignored so much that I didn't even know parts of myself <clears throat> because it was like was is this going to make everyone else happy okay good yeah I mean so, how do you know so your makes, needs if you yeah if you don't ever have that uh, like space to be able to figure that out right mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. so many of us that sounds so familiar <laughs> to me. <laughs> right, right. I think it's interesting um, to think about like those those different kinds of moments where we find ourselves speaking up for ourselves, finding our voice for the first time. Like I think so many of us have these moments and they're pivotal in not just like our growth as humans, but as adoptees, it's like part of the healing that we continue to have as we grow in relationships with people. And because I think like, I always think of, I don't know why, I don't know where this came from, but I always think of things as like computer programs (laughs) And I always think that that like submissive, um, make yourself quiet, make yourself small, don't, you know, don't say your opinion too loudly is like the, the computer program that's running in the background of a lot of adoptee brains. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really powerful in what you said that especially as something so big as your marriage that is like humongous especially because I can't even imagine what kind of state of mind I would have been in if my family had not been there to support my decision when I when I got divorced and And so, like, I just think it's incredible. I just think it's incredible that you found your voice at, like, 
the most independent point of of I feel like anyone's life of like deciding no this is not what I want and um and I it's okay to change my mind mm-hmm. I just really think that's powerful I can see thank you Kate yeah it's amazing and I can see Kate I think how that might lead you to where to what you focus on now um but I'd love to hear how you think that part of your story really propelled you into the health and wellness, um, coaching. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I feel like, um, I feel really strongly about helping others help themselves and we don't know what we don't know. And so some people are stuck in these attached to old patterns and thought processes that aren't serving them, but they don't know how to break away from them and be who they are because they're just, those are comfortable and those are what's expected of them. And that's all they know. And so I think it's for me as a health coach for adoptees, it's really important to work with people to get to the root of whatever issues they're having, because um, for me, wellness is different for everyone. It's not a one size fits all thing. And so that's my approach is, is that's not my approach. So we look at emotional health, mental health, physical health, and spiritual health. And when one of those four things are out of balance, it throws everything out of balance. So we look at each one of those things or wherever you're feeling little bit uh, a lack of one of those and work on that um and so yeah it's it's for me using my experience and then my knowledge with health and wellness to help others feel better inside and out physically and emotionally um And a lot of it comes for adoptees, I've noticed a lot of it comes down to self-worth and feeling good enough. And um, so many of us just have felt so less than our entire lives. And then we grow up and these thought processes are still not serving or not serving us. And we're ready for something else. And we get to the point where, you know, wherever you are in your life where you realize oh, this isn't working for me and I'm not happy. Everyone around me is happy and thinks I'm happy, um, but I'm not. And <clears throat> when I was growing up and in, into my early 20s, I used physical wellness to hide as a mask, to hide behind my um, emotional uh, chaos that was going on. So from an early age, I realized that I was really athletic and I could ride that wave and hide behind my athleticism and use that success so that people would see that instead of this, instead of my Asianness and my otherness. So I was a really successful athlete throughout my teen years and then into my adulthood. And so people connect with somebody who 
looks healthy and strong and then they find out you're adopted and oh well you you've been through so much you know you're you're normal quote unquote and then but the big but is behind it all I was emotionally unwell I was still doing all of those toxic things to myself and not feeling good enough and overcompensating for the feeling of um, otherness still and low self-worth. So coming to consciousness really helped me heal a big part of my emotional wellness. Um, And I have to say too, when I was thinking about this, some of the most unhappy people I've ever known are teeny tiny and they are have a horrible relationship with food and a horrible relationship with themselves, but they're hiding behind this small body or this like physically fit body, but they're really mentally not happy. And then conversely, some of the best, happiest, most well-adjusted people um, are full figured, have an awesome relationship with food and others around them. And they are just living their lives. And then I see the the people, the other people across the room looking at them with so much envy, like, I want to be there emotionally, you know? So it's, for me, there was like this facade of physical wellness to cover up for the mental, emotional unwellness. So this question is is actually for both of you, because you both work in, in different fields, but um, still fields where there are a lot of adoptees. Um, when you, Kate, as a coach, a health coach, and Laura as a licensed therapist, when you're constantly with clients that are adoptees, how do you take care of yourself, um, give yourself room and space, and especially when you start feeling yourself feel triggered or yourself feel different things when you're working with other adoptee clients, how do you manage that? What do you do uh, for yourself? Let's see. That's a good question. I think there's definitely a part of me that has to dissociate when I'm um, actively listening to my clients to keep myself out of it and not attached and not feel compassion fatigue or burnout um, and not own their things. I think I use, if I do feel triggered by something they say, I lean into it by showing compassion for what they're saying. Um, Like, oh, so that must feel like this, you know, and in my head, I'm saying from my own experience, it felt like this. (laughs) So uh, just translating it with that language to connect with them. Yeah. And then afterward, probably doing something physical just to kind of move move it through my body yeah. um, and let it go. How about you, Laura? Yeah. yeah, that's those are those are all very similar to I think how I handle it. I think one of the gifts of working with other adoptees is, 
there's, it's almost like, I think those clients are on a different plane than other clients. And we meet each other in the middle in a deeper way than I do with other non-adopted clients. And so there's always this understanding of, I don't like, just as I don't want my clients to feel like they have to explain everything to me. That's part of why they come to an adoptee therapist. I don't feel like I need to do a lot of explaining. I think the job is far and away just being there together and being present to what's happening and being a good witness to that. Um, but I agree that self-care, it's really not an option, like, because mm-hmm. you do get triggered and you do feel your own, like br- brought back to some of these pieces in your own journey. And so I, I agree completely what you said, Kate, about like physical movement really helps. Um, <clears throat> And also making sure that boundaries are very clear up front of when I'm available and not, and really holding firm to that and trying to use time when I'm not working as um, the most like regenerative kind of time, you know? Um, but I also think um, attaching to people's stories is probably what draws people to us, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the emotional attachment mm-hmm. that we, we can find with them. And so trying really hard to focus that when it's happening and trying to give myself a break when we're not, not doing that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I, <laughs> I feel like, um, there are very specific people that, I think are drawn to me and and I find that fascinating to think about and and I think it happens to a lot of different people oh yeah and the different people that are drawn to you I think it's fascinating and I don't know why it's like a phenomenon uh and I surely there's something about it but (laughs) it is interesting like I find that people that have a lot going on in their lives are, I think, drawn to me. I, maybe because I have nothing going on in my life. And and I have That's space. That's not true, Katie. Podcast it's, it's host. It's not true. Katie it's not true at five. all. No. I have a lot happening <laughs> in my life. <laughs> it's just, I have a boring life uh, externally. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. Um I think I think about that a lot about the people that are drawn to you and how do you deal with that in appropriate ways and wise ways healthy ways just as a human not even as a professional just I think about that a lot and I don't think I've ever talked about it either yeah I think there's different types of attachments that find us. And I think we have to determine and probably continuously evaluate if that's what we actually want or not. Mm. Mm. (laughs) And what I found Mm -hmm. is if it's not something I want, as soon as I start like trying to establish boundaries, it's like they find me more. So I have to get really good at the boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
and yeah. really good mm-hmm. at saying no or whatever. And then when I've got mm-hmm. that established, it's literally just like they they evaporate. Like they're that that person mm-hmm. just doesn't find me anymore. It's really interesting. I don't know. What do you guys? It, isn't it weird? Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't I've stopped explaining it. I've I've stopped apologizing when there's no need for me to apologize. You know, like mm. if somebody invites mm. me to something or asks me for something, <clears throat> not coach wise, but um, personal life wise, I'm not like mm. I'm sorry. I can't just say I can't. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I have nothing to feel bad about. No, no, not in a callous way, but just you know, we don't. We so we spend so many years apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, not stepping on toes, not rocking the boat. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But so we don't need to be sorry when it's not necessary, right? And I think we had to do that. There were reasons. It sounds like in your family system, there was a good reason for you to be a people pleaser. I mean, kids are not people pleasers just just because it's fun because it's not, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, we have to remember that, that, that piece of ourselves existed, exists for a reason. And, um, you know, True. but it's survival. Yeah, exactly. It's just that you're not in survival mode anymore. Right. So you don't have right. to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Hey, for sure. I know that you developed the Ep- method And I would love for you to explain what it is firstly, but secondly, how, what was, what was going on in your mind when you were developing it for adoptees as well? Okay. Well, it, the EPIC method stands for explore, plan, implement, and conquer. So when you come to me as a health coach, you maybe have something you want to work on that you've been working on for years and it's just not working either with your, with your therapist or on your own or with healthcare practitioners. It's just not working. Health coach helps someone stay accountable because you meet regularly once a week or once every other week. And so often you go to a healthcare practitioner and they say, okay, you need to do this, this, and this. I'll see you in six months. And then you go home and you say, great, great. This is great. This is what I need to do, but I don't know how. (laughs) So you Google or whatever, and then that lasts about a week. And then, you know, you see them in six months and you haven't made any progress or you've regressed. So a health coach can help you um, stay on track with whatever those goals are. So we sit down, explore where you've been, where you are now, where you'd like to go, plan something that's um, sustainable, realistic for you based on what's worked in the past and what hasn't implement training wheels come off you off you go. Let's implement the plan, give it a try, come back and, you know, tweak it as we need to. And then conquer is it's working. Maybe there's a few, you know, things we need to rough, um, smooth out, but it's working. We check in those last few weeks of the program. It's 12 weeks and, you're there. You've like conquered that goal and you're feeling good and you're celebrating your, we're celebrating your wins and you're noticing substantial shifts in your health. And it can be usually one or two goals that we start with so that it's not like so overwhelming because that's just not realistic for anyone. And then, um, so after that 12 weeks, you can decide, let's move on to another goal or if you're feeling good, off you go. So that is the Epic method. And 
I think coming up with it, just uh, having the structure is really ideal versus somebody just checking in with you for 12 weeks, um, once a week, you know, that's helpful, but the structure is good because you know, you have a plan and um, of how this is going to work. And, and then um, let's see, what was your other question? What was I thinking about when I came up with it? Yeah, just, I guess, what was, when you were thinking, when you were developing it, Mm -hmm. and you had adoptees in mind, what Mm -hmm. was going on when you were creating it? Like, like, what approaches were you thinking in your mind that would be helpful for especially adoptees doing this EPIC method? I think working with a fellow adoptee is really helpful. Um, One of my clients came to me saying, looking for help from me. She liked my content and um, felt connected, a connection through my content because she said the therapist and psychiatrist I've been seeing for two years, they're white and um, not adopted. So I think Mm -hmm. she was looking for something that was more, someone who was more adoptee informed And, um, so I think that's really interesting when people come to me and they've been with therapists or practitioners and it's still not working. I think there's a piece that, um, like you said, Laura, adoptee to adoptee, you already have this, this connection. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I had that in mind and I think Something where you're meeting with someone once a week is really important so that things don't get slipped through the cracks um, and someone there to keep you accountable, check in with you, you feel supported, you feel seen, and you feel like, you know, there's a little bit of pressure. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm going to work on this and I'll check in with you. We'll, we'll circle back and have an hour long session next week. Okay. All right. I need to. Kate's there. Kate, I'm gonna, you know, meet Kate next week. It'll help me stay on this, you know, work on this. So yeah, I think health coaching is so much about accountability and the client knowing that you're there and you're not you're you're seeing them and providing space for them to just process these health things that are going on to make connections get to the root cause of some of the choices that they're making that aren't working for them. Um, And again, like coming back to the wellness piece, those things that are out of balance, where can we find balance? Um, Because wellness to me is essentially balance with those four pieces that I spoke about earlier. Yeah. It sounds like you're really relational um, in your approach that you really lean heavily on, you know, making sure that you are able to build a, um, trust with your clients and that you're, you know, it better work is done when you know, that client knows you have their back and Mm -hmm. understand certain things. I I think that that as an adoptee, I mean, obviously I'm biased, (laughs) because I'm a therapist and I, you know, but like, I think that's so powerful um, when people have that approach, because so much of what we fight against in our lives is not being seen as whole people. And 
providing that space for people is just, it's like, it's everything that people are looking for. So I'm, it sounds amazing. Thanks, Laura. Yeah. I think that with, I've worked with a health coach, uh, Laura, have you worked with a health coach before? No. Um, I've worked with like, like trainer types okay, in the yeah. past, but it's not okay. the same thing. It's very yeah. like, um, BMI and like unhealthy, yeah. I think. So, so I worked with a health coach last summer, I believe in addition to, oh my gosh, it was when I was seeing so many physicians, but I really liked seeing her because you're right. It was all relational. It was like, and I remember seeing a health coach. Um, this was like when I was trying to get a second master's. So I was a student and I, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm, I can see a therapist for free because <laughs> I'm a student <laughs> again. Um, and I remember seeing a health coach and I remember thinking she's the best among all of them because she ties together what you're learning from a dietitian and what you're learning from your physician and your therapist. And she is tying mm. them all together into, into one. And, and honestly, like, I think health coaches get kind of the brunt of, um, <laughs> they're kind of like the second thought I feel like in the when you take a holistic approach of seeing the multiple different physicians because I think that people think that there's they're more of like cheerleaders more than strategic um mm -hmm. but I really think that what I in my experience and just my thinking about it is I think that health coaches really help to drive the point home of like, we're not here to judge you for what you don't do and what you do do. <laughs> Sorry. Anyone, anytime anyone says do do, I can't, I can't not laugh. Anyway, so I just think that, I just think that health coaches a lot of times get like this afterthought of like, oh, well, you know, they're just like making sure you're doing things. But really like, I feel like they're very integral in pulling all of the different pieces of physicians and professionals together into creating the plan that you're actually going to execute. And Absolutely. I think that that is, really powerful. I, I've, I've actually had this discussion in, in health. I work in healthcare, which is really weird for me to say, but that was also one of the discussions that I had was that health coaches often, well, this is a totally different discussion, but often it's difficult to get them reimbursed because they're not seen as, um, clinical as, you know, a therapist or, or a, mm -hmm. a dietitian would be. Um, mm -hmm. but again, like it's that second thought perspective yes. when really, I think that from a, a patient perspective, it really drove the point home of like, 
no, no, I'm getting all of the direction from all of these physicians, like homework from all of them. Who's mm -hmm. going to help me, you know, hold my hand basically and help me execute it. And it's, it's always the health coach. Um, mm. So I just think that your work is really important. And I think that, um, that it's definitely like a, uh, an underscored profession. I feel like um, that I've, that deserves to be more in the front end of health and wellness. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It, um, health coaches help bridge the gap between doctors, mental health professionals, and really can see the whole picture, like you were saying, and also see where things can be tightened up a little bit. Um, my, my practice, we, I look at everything and have a, a good feel overall feel for, you know, gut health, hormone health. I actually just finished a hormone health course last night. Um, so I have that as a specialty now. Um, and we can look at all of these different aspects of health and wellness, physical health also, and tie them together and see where the imbalances are and see where something can be strengthened a little bit. I honestly think hormonal health is like the hidden gem it's of it huge. all. Huge. It is. I do. Yeah. I think that there, I, I know I need to look more into it. As a perimenopausal woman, Ooh. let me just say, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it does. It feels like it takes over your life. I feel like. Oh man. So, oh man. Yeah. Um. So Kate, yeah. knowing what you know, which mm -hmm. is a lot, I I feel like I could pick your brain forever. But what do you think you've taken away from this role as a health coach? Like, how do you feel like you've taken care of? learned how to take care of yourself um, from what you teach and, and the space you make for others? I think that it's really important to always have a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset. And I try to emphasize with my clients our ever-changing identities and because if we limit ourselves to being just one thing, it really is a disservice to ourselves for future connections with people, for future opportunities. So a growth mindset looks like um, when there's something that needs to change and there's an opportunity to change it or improve it or adjust it, taking that step. And it's gonna be uncomfortable and because new things always are, I just did a post on this. It's like breaking in a new pair of shoes. New things are always uncomfortable <clears throat> at first. And over time, the more you work at it, the more you practice, the easier it'll get, the stronger you'll get, and it'll just become second nature. But that first step is always the hardest part, but it's starting, you know, starting is the hardest part. Um, when I taught fitness classes, it was, I always celebrated my clients for showing up, walking in the door of the studio. That's the hardest part's over. The workout just started, but you're here. The hardest part is over. So um, emphasizing the ever-changing identities that we have and 
being open to knowing there's like so much more to who you are, you might get to a place where you're like, oh, like I did a a post about this yesterday. You're a victim of your health. Well, you're not a victim of your health. You can take charge of that. There's so many things you can change. Your stress management, how much you move or don't move, how much, what you eat. Um, And so I think Ever-changing identities um, is super important because we don't need to get stuck and fall into, this is who I am. This is how it's always going to be. We have so much more control over our physical and mental and emotional health than we realize. And sometimes it takes that an external, extra person, outside perspective to help you identify where you are and where you want to go. Um, And so as an example, even after coming to consciousness, I've definitely changed. And that was like two and a half years ago. Um, I have, and then as you progress through life, you change, you know, I became a mother to a son. I, then I became a mother to a daughter. And one day my son might decide he wants to be a daughter instead. And I'll be a, you know, as a mother to two daughters, you know, that, that my identity might change. I love cooking. I tolerate baking. But over the last two and a half years living in China, I've become a baker on accident because the pizza that we want isn't here. So I have to make the pizza. The cookies and brownies that my kids want isn't here. So um, my identity has changed. And now I'm a, a home cook and a baker. So little things like that. Our identities, we it's really important to be open to opportunities and possibility. Um, And I like to say that we are tested every single day with opportunity to make a change every day. And Oprah calls these whispers. They're whispers from the universe. And if we, the more we ignore the whispers, the louder they'll get. And if we keep ignoring them, they will just shout at you. And that's not where we want to (laughs) be. And then that will show up in the form of um, disease, chronic pain, disease is disease, um, illness, accidents will happen because we're ignoring these things, we're ignoring ourselves. And so if you can, the more you can just tune in and be aware of all of these things that present throughout your day, throughout your life, um, and harness those moments, even though it's gonna feel weird, and out of your comfort zone, that's your barometer to know, oh, this is my test. This is it. <laughs> let me, let me, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for it. And you might be judged and you might be, um, you know, othered by people closer, closest to you for doing those things or trying those things. But it's all about your ever-changing identity and getting out of your comfort zone and staying on the growth mindset because that's just important to whole health and wellness and balance. I feel like you wrapped this up yourself, like really beautifully. So I was going to ask you one more question, but I think you already answered it. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to ask you the one that we always ask guests, which is what do you think is something that you would tell your younger self now where you're at? 
I would tell my younger self that you're not alone. It's okay to feel the way you're feeling and to listen to those whispers. It's okay to change your mind and to listen to your intuition and follow your truth. That's what I would tell my younger self. I love that. Perfect. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming and for sharing about what you do and why why and how you're taking care of the adoptee community in so many different ways um, and for sharing so much of your story, just little pieces, little nuggets of it. Um, we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with all of us. So yes, so thank much you wisdom. so much. Thank you, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> my yeah. pleasure. Thank you for having me. Such a treat. Oh my gosh. I was going to tell you, Katie. Um, so the funny story I had, they said I was going to sh- save oh, for this. Yeah. Yes, please. So back in the summertime, I found this vendor here in China. You have like all these um vendor like virtual vendors on your on your the the platform here is called wechat that everybody uses so i have these vendors it's like yeah (laughs) it's like my version of etsy some of these um you know handmade stuff one of these vendors i have so i found these vision boards so i ordered each of my family members a vision board and never got around to doing them and so New Year's Eve, we did, the, we sat down, all four of us just moved into this new apartment. We sat down, we did our vision boards on New Year's Eve. And I, it was really cool to explain to the kids what these were, you know, at 10 and six years old, um, for them to <laughs> conceptualize what we're doing and why we're doing it and what manifestation is and <laughs> law of attraction. It's a teachable moment. So um, we did these vision boards and one of them that I put was being invited to the adopting wellness podcast and two Ah, days later you messaged me yes it's still on there i will take a picture and show it to you yes yes i love that you were one of two you were one of two that i put on there and then i think the other one i think the other one half happened because i was also a couple weeks ago invited by the john she boys so, um, yeah. It w- that wait, was... was that your second one? The second one was Patrick's uh, conversation, conversation piece. piece. Yeah. Yes, conversation piece. It was that one and your and this one. And oh, so, um, yay. yeah. So crazy. Two I days love it. After. This is your year, <laughs> is, Kate. It's happening. That is. It is. <laughs> also, John Chi is like, so freaking fun that was the first podcast I had ever been on and I wanted to die because I was so nervous I was (laughs) when I tell you I was in full body sweat I could not stop sweating and because I was so nervous and then I couldn't even get my own story timeline right so I love those boys they're so fun and they don't care they're just there to have a good time and support us so yeah it's true well, this oh is my, my first, so I appreciate Great. it. Oh, we're Great so story. lucky to be your first podcast. And um, oh, it was my amazing. Honor. And my we honor. are going to 
carry all these nuggets of wisdom and truth that you've been sharing with us. So thank you again. My pleasure. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Well, we'll see y'all next time. That's it. Okay. Bye. Bye.